We are rolling now, counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I am Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, books, spoken word, experiences, things that have built us up as people, and in sharing them, we hope that it builds you up. We are the retrospective. That's introspective. I I love that preamble, and it never gets old. It's like a timeless story that becomes more and more relevant with each passing year. It's true. Today we're joined by Chris James. Hi, how are you doing? Good, great, thanks, lovely. (laughs) Um, If you don't know Chris James, he is a director, writer, producer. He does music as well. One could say he's a musician, because that's how words work. Um, and he brought in Sons of Chaos, the graphic novel that he has been working on for upwards of eight years, I'd say. Originally, it was a screenplay, yes? Yeah, started as that and then uh, worked its way into many other things. Uh, now it's almost 10 years later, and, uh, and if it's not uh, extremely stellar, I might as well just end my life. <laughs> You know, if you, if you spend that much time doing something and it's not kind of good, like, why bother? Like, you missed. Right. Just that's, go home. That's how I feel about this podcast. And right. that's exactly why Tari will not let me listen to it. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, that's why my parents left. <laughs> uh, no. Um, At I least can... you found each other. <laughs> uh, no, I can say with 100% certainty that your life is safe. It's a, it's a great job. That's sweet. It could just be uh, sympathy. I don't have that. Oh, good. He yeah. really doesn't. All right. it's, yeah, yeah, it's established that I All don't right. care for uh, my fellow person. Yeah, the okay. least empathetic soul you will meet. That's oh, true. Good. All right. Well, then maybe we'll get along. I'm hypersensitive, and so I'll just be hurt and, and wounded and be trying to win you over to prove my validation. <laughs> that's, that's how he hooks people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Good. Well, it's working. <laughs> my neediness is at like a level three now. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. You'll be at 10 by the end of this show. I mean, it gives you a goal. <laughs> um, so this was written by you, um, and it, the art was by, and I'm definitely going to ruin this name. <laughs> Ale. Ale. Um, Aragon. Aragon, yeah. Aragon. Like the book series. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I established early on, before we started rolling, that names are my kryptonite. If I were a superhero... Uh, I would have all the powers that you could imagine, and then someone would be like, pronounce my name, and then I would double over and start vomiting uh, profusely, because that's how bad I am with names. I've actually seen this happen. The vomiting? In reality, yes. Really? Yes. Well, it's interesting, because before the vomit mention, you do a voice tone thing where you kind of go into this, and it's a little sexual. Right. So this, the two combine create one lovely picture of like a sexual vomit session Ooh, i mean people are into it we got a new name for the podcast is what i think (laughs) this is sexual vomit sessions with tari j and lex michael oh man um (laughs) i don't like it um so chris if you were on an elevator and you had to pitch this to someone how would you pitch it to our audience god i wouldn't i would say (laughs) you don't need to know i've got shit to do Um, but the easiest way to make it relatable would say it's a big fucking huge book that's double sized in 200 pages like 300 uh not 300 page 300 the book movie right but the story is a little bit more like les miserables in that it's a very layered character story during time of revolution this revolution happened about 50 years after the french revolution but everybody knows of the french revolution because napoleon's trendy and you know it's weird how that works napoleon and hitler are like the most interesting people to human uh, you know, curiosity, but the, so, so we know of it because of those things, but there was no iconic standout individual for this revolution. So somehow it just got overlooked. Right. So it's not necessarily like a history book. It's more crazy, insane characters with a lot of psychological damage that are trying to carry out their individual agendas to, uh, you know, find validation in their life. It just happens to be during a time of war. Right. Cause it, it follows, uh, the character Marcos, 
Botsaris. Botsaris, yes. yeah. Yeah, I did it. Um, and it essentially finds a way to take this revolution and put it directly through the eyes of this one character and his personal growth. Like, you're with him from childhood, through his adolescence, through his adulthood. Yeah. Um, and his struggles in that. Like, when I was reading it, it really had a dune feel to me. Oh, cool. Um, Interesting. Yeah, because, like, it, it really has this feeling of this character who is of, like... You could say like noble birth, uh, and he's forced into a war that isn't really his own, and has to kind of step up and lead with people who aren't his own people. Um, yeah, it was a great way of summarizing it. Yeah, it's a kid that's born at a time of revolution, and he's his father is the leader of his sort of village, and his village is the one that didn't give in to the Ottoman Empire, and they're Greek. Uh, where most of Greece sort of subsided and, and went along with their the opposition's force, but the Sulliots did not. And so he's of this village that was the kind of like, fuck you village, and his dad was the leader. But he had the sort of antithesis of a psychology as a kid who was soft and sensitive and thoughtful and intelligent, mm-hmm. but forced to step into this role with uh, absolute reluctance. Uh, so yeah, uh, and then faced with that reality as he grows up and, and has to become a leader. Right. Um, and I want to, before we start getting deep into the story, I really want to talk about the artwork, which is fantastic. Oh, good. There's a very like watercolor aesthetic to it, but it also has a very like, I would say epic painting kind of thing, like things you would see on the walls of like someone who's super rich is like this was <laughs> yep. the battle of uh, the Greek Revolution. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the book is like double sized, so when you're opening it, it's like a panoramic right experience. So it allows for those big, long, sprawling images. Mm-hmm. And Ailes pretty amazing. He he doesn't work digitally, like so he inks. And if he messes up, like, too bad. He's <laughs> got to make it work. So right. so that made it fun for me every time I needed something changed. Uh, yeah. So you just go, oh, no, how can I make this work? He missed the thing. But that happened very seldom. So fortunately, he didn't punch me too many times. <laughs> uh, how did you guys end up collaborating in the first place? We met through a, a mutual friend that we had known as I started to like seek out how do you do this. Right. Uh, and so this guy I had met kind of introduced me and showed me a handful of artists. Uh, I started to meet with one and and his style was very, very different, um, but had done a lot of like very like high level stuff. Uh, and he fell out because he got a job and so then I met with Ale and I was so happy that it worked out that way because Ale's work is so raw Mm. and forceful and you can feel this visceral intensity in his work Uh, so it worked out as perfect as I could have hoped yeah I mean you guys put a gorgeous book together and like you say like it's this double-sized book so you open it and it takes up your entire lap and like (laughs) yes like Tari it has this amazing mural quality to it and the story ends up between the story and the art the thing ends up flying by because when you pick up a like a hardbound copy of this book you take a second you go I like I have a job you know what I mean like what am I gonna how how am I gonna fit this in and then you sit there and you start reading it and the thing just Really? Mm -hmm. That's good. Really. Um, But so we want to delve into the specifics of the story a little bit more fully. But at the same time, I am fascinated by this uh, uh, 10 year, this decade long story (laughs) to bring this project to fruition. So I want to know right up top, what drew you to this material in the first place? Like, when did that happen? What sparked it in you that, oh, this is a story I actually feel like I need to tell? Sure. Well, initially, it it was presented to me from a a, a very lovely, insane, relentless Greek man uh, who ended up becoming like my brother. Uh, his name's Nick Lambro, and he was really the 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 guy that pushed this on me because he's, you know, his, his dad moved here from Greece. They were struggling, like they, you know, built a business, and so he's first generation Greek American, and uh, and he he always wanted to make movies and and things. He's obsessed with everything. He's a very interesting guy, but he kept pushing this subject matter on me because he knew I wrote things and directed things, and so 
over time, you know, you're stuck listening to somebody out of respect because you like them. But first you're like, just stop. I'm not making a movie about that. I, that's too much. It's too high. I know nothing about it. And over the course of time, I finally started looking at it and realized, wow, this is amazing. And it's so layered. And these characters are straight out of movies. You, you know, uh, like Ali, the Ali Pasha character. When I started reading about him, it, it was the closest thing to a real-life Joker character right. that I had ever <laughs> come upon. And so I was like, whoa, these characters are already formed to be in this scenario. You referenced earlier how we, we as a culture find figures like Napoleon, like Hitler, so right. fascinating. Because <laughs> totally. you have one guy that is, is as close as you come to like a, a big cartoony supervillain, like <laughs> yeah, a malevolent yeah. force of pure evil. And Ali is, is nothing if not that. Totally. And that's kind of where the hook started getting me was these characters are so rich and layered this war nobody knows about outside of that part of the world and it's the most recent defining of the western powers that still exist today right so if if that wouldn't have happened the ottoman empire was spreading west and and so the same war we're fighting now the east versus west is really just a slogan the government's used to do their military things to keep our economy where they want it to be right. uh it was happening then and so when I started to see the similarities of, of the Iraq war and all the things we were told about that and then seeing this and realized like the Ottoman Empire was taking over more and more of Western Europe. They'd pushed into Austro-Hungary at the time and they had taken Greece for 400 years. And it was kind of like the West was like, OK with that. You know, you guys do what you want. We're doing our thing. We're just getting set up here in the United States. And the UK was still like a superpower and they don't want to mess with anything. But once it started to spread further and infect their economies and, and their shipping lines and these, these elements, the West sort of got involved and ended up giving the loans to Greece to fight the war, which ironically, they just paid off about a decade ago. So this was a lot more, we did help, the US helped, the UK helped. And as I started to see, wow, these are the same things happening now, only nobody knows about this. And if, had this not happened, the Ottoman Empire could have spread and taken over who knows how much of Western Europe. So what Europe is what it is today because of this revolution. And somehow it slipped through history because there wasn't a Napoleon or a you know famous movie about it. Right. So, so once you find that guy and you realize, okay, I can build a story around figures like this. Right. You said uh, initially you were thinking about it as a screenplay? Yeah. Yeah. So, so... It took me a little while to get to the screenplay part, sadly, at the cost of my psychology, sanity, self-worth, and many other things uh, were brought into question as the years started passing. But first I had to learn about it, and I don't have the capacity to kind of be general about things as, well, as much as I would like to be. So I became far too obsessed and read every book I could find, mapped out these research books of the people involved, every person I could find, and learned about each of them until I started getting a sense of what was really there. Because it's like being an investigative reporter. You have each resource is written by someone with a different bias. So as you read these books, you realize this one's totally saying the opposite thing of this one, which mm -hmm. was like, oh, shit, now I have to be thoughtful. And so I had to be thoughtful way too much for way too long until I had an idea of what maybe happened. And then it became which story to tell. And then it became, okay, this is the story I'm going to tell. Here, let me start outlining it. The outline ended up being like, the outline was long. Right. So the outline was probably 60 pages or something of full, 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 thick writing. Then that conveyed into a screenplay draft that I kind of threw together somewhat quickly just to get an assessment of it. And it was 275 pages, which is about 155 pages more than it should be for a film. <laughs> it's a lot of movie. <laughs> right. And then you go, oh, shit, what am I going to do here? How do I tell this story? And that's where we got to the graphic novel. Okay, and, and how much did the story itself, uh, you know, permutate and change from one iteration to the other? A good amount. Like, I mean, obviously getting 270 pages down to something that fits into a 200-page graphic novel means right. I had to cut out very close to 170 pages of story. And so there are tons of subtleties that are not in this that, are, that I still have for no one to look at. And, um, and they exist, but uh, so it changed a lot. You had to compress a lot. I had to get rid of certain characters. I had to fictionalize certain elements to compress two or three things to happen at once. So instead of 
for instance, like the, the last third of the of the book happens all around two cities, Ianina and uh, Messalonghi. Well, there was actually two other cities involved to properly carry out the events as history had them. And so I had to cut out those, you know, so it was a lot of shifts and changes to fit the format. Would you say that most of the adjustments were dictated by the truncation of the story? Or do you feel like, where did you uh, decide to make the changes based on character versus uh, necessity? I think most every change has to do with format, you know, like, yeah. because if I could just keep writing and writing and writing, I could tell everything exactly how it was in the way that I want it and on and on and on. And that's the challenge, I think, of being a good writer, which I can't tell some days if I am or not. But the, but the, the challenge of being a good writer, if you're talking about Hollywood or a comic book or anything, is how do you tell it in the way that people are accustomed to accepting it? Mm-hmm. So... When all these, you know, when I was young and I was writing screenplays and people were like, oh, you should change that. I'd be like, fuck you. Like, this is my thing. And I was so naive that I totally threw away many opportunities and, and jobs and things because I was this dumb, hard-headed, like, person thinking they're like a good writer. And I was like, shut up, you idiot. You're not a good writer. You don't know anything to talk about. You're blowing your chances here because your head's so stupid that you don't know what to do with yourself and your life's going to end up alone in misery and like with a blanket somewhere outside if you don't fucking wake up. But I didn't wake up very quickly. And so, so it took me a long time to realize, oh my God, being a good writer is about finding the way to do your version that fits their version. And and that's the challenge that I face every day with everything that I write is like the thing I want to tell is sprawling, but I, I've got to make it fit the format that the industry will pay for. Right. right. Uh, was Marcos always the main character? Or- yeah. Okay. Interesting. How did you settle on him? Because uh, he's a significant part of the war from what yeah. I've read. Um, but like, I don't know if his story necessarily spanned from the beginning to the end. No, and most don't because most people die. This thing went on for a long time. Right. And uh, so, so this part of the book is really the stimulant that begins the, the revolution, which actually went on for 10 years and lingered for decades after. Right. So uh, w- with Marcos, it really came down to one, I liked the age that he started at during this period because there's significantly famous Greek warriors that are more known than he but uh but they were already old or old like me like 50 you know i'm not 50 but you know what i'm saying they right. were they were closer to 50 by the time the war was starting where marcos was just coming into his own you know in his 20s and uh and i wanted to show that side of it the beginning as opposed to jumping into the middle right uh also as a real life character, Marcus Batseris is very different than most. He was scholarly and very cerebral, and he developed this whole dictionary that was a translation between Albanian and Greek along the way. So, mm. so he was a very studious, like intelligent person who also happened to be a war hero-ish, whatever if you want to call someone a hero. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we have to. I feel like this is a good time to transition into talking about specifics about the graphic novel. Sure. Um, so I'm going to let you guys uh, reach for the dial if you have, if you want to go into it as clean as possible. I mean, a lot of this is history. So um, if depending on how much you know about the Greek Revolution, you may <laughs> already be spoiled. But Chris, as you're saying, this is a, a sort of lesser known period right. in global history. So it's entirely possible folks do not are not up. On, on this particular war. So if you do want to go and clean, yes, uh, hit pause right now. Go pick up a copy of Sons of Chaos. Read it. I swear, it looks big. It looks a little intimidating, but you get through this really quick. It reads fast. Oh, yeah. Uh, go pick up a copy and then come back and listen to the rest of our discussion. We're going to delve into some spoilers. Yep. There's going to be a link below. So hit that. It's super easy. You can do it from the comfort of your couch. Um, all right. So now the spoiler wall is down. <laughs> Um, so it's funny that you say that, though, because I'm so aware of the presentation of the book and going, oh, shit, like, I can't, when am I going to have time to get to that? So I was so uh, hyper aware of the economizing the words and to make it more of a rhythmic read. Yes. So so it's really nice to hear you validate 
that it moves along. <laughs> well, well, not for nothing. You know, I sit there reading it, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm talking about how the thing looks. Yeah, it looks a little intimidating at first, but I get to the end of each. You know, you, you split it into three books, and it's his childhood, his adolescence, and his his adulthood. And I don't somewhere midway through the book, I found myself thinking, oh, there. It has to be this way. It has to be formatted this way. It's this is an absolute. Uh, I don't know how else to put it other than it's so. It's the perfect delivery mechanism for this material, mm-hmm. and the way the way uh, your words and the art are working in concert together. I feel like no, you need a book that takes up that much space on your lap for it to feel as immersive as I think it ultimately feels. Thanks, man. That's a nice thing to say. <laughs> it's Jesus speaking truth, you know. Oh God. Well. <laughs> No, I, I, it's true. Like I'm a notoriously slow reader, um, and I assumed that it would take me at least three days. And I, <laughs> I literally like finished it in a night. I was like, I laid down and then just blasted through the whole thing. Like I could have even like, like, and and even this morning, I was just kind of like going through it. And the visual storytelling is also so good that I was like, oh, I remember this happened. I remember this oh, happened. That's cool. Like it, yeah, I was able to recall without even like delving into the individual moments, I was able to remember the full story just by sweeping through it. Yeah. Now, when you said you were reading it in bed, yes. uh, I'm just curious what the positioning you did with the book. Like, was <laughs> well, it sideways and you were kind of like spooning it? Or mm, were you more mm-hmm, upright mm-hmm. and it was taking over your lap space? Um, it was more uh, knees up, resting on oh, the okay. knees okay yeah. gotcha yeah yeah, yeah. Um, right. now, yeah now. i feel like that was the best way to take it in okay now classic, that i've got the image of that we can move forward yes classic of course sexual vomit yeah. scenario <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was like i'm gonna have to say so many names <laughs> <laughs> um but but so okay so so building your story around marcos and you start you know you start with him as a child and it gives the reader an opportunity to connect with someone who for all intents and purposes is an innocent at that point when we meet him um, and then you watch how, you know, he's obviously he was born to his parents, but you watch a new version of him being birthed as he responds to the events around him. He is, he is in effect forged by this war. And you get to take that journey with that character empathizing so strongly so that when you get to the back, you know, sections of the book, <laughs> like, yeah, man, like you just you're kind of mean to this dude. You end up taking <laughs> everything away from this guy. Yeah, that's, he, he deserved that shit. Uh, yeah, piece of shit. Like, uh, no. Yeah, like, honestly, as I was building that out, I was just looking at me saying, like, in that scenario, I feel the same way. I am very much not a fighting person or an aggressive, violent person. And, and I think that, like in life, uh, the the best leaders come more by force, and I think it it it's like that vicious kind of intensity of like there will be no more mm-hmm. when you finally get pushed to that point. Whether it's like with an animal that's like shut up, you know, or like a neighbor that's pushing too hard, you know, mm-hmm. you get to a point where there's a threshold where there's no coming back. But when it comes to making decisions to murder hundreds tens thousands of people like that better be a pretty intense threshold that you are getting pushed to to step into that space where Mm -hmm. you say now is not going to happen like it has yet before and now it's going to be different so to me you got to have everything beaten and battered and and taken away from you before you really become that fearless courageous just driven force right Mm -hmm. uh and then, well, and then it continues to be taken away from him. But at that point, he's just numb and in warrior space. Right. I mean, like, I got to the end of that story. I felt like I was numb and in warrior space. <laughs> I was like, I am I am not the same person I was when I started this story. <laughs> well, you talk about uh, basically, like, reluctant leaders. And I really like that he kind of had to cross the threshold twice. Like, he uh, has the moment when you are training him as a kid and you realize that he's very bad at everything. Um, (laughs) And he sees his mother get decapitated in front of him and he gets kidnapped and he's forced to live amongst uh, the, the alleys people. And in, in traditional storytelling, the moment that his mother's head got cut off, he'd be like, I'm going to kill all the Turkish people. Um, (laughs) But 
that's not necessarily how that's not necessarily a realistic reaction. Like he's still uh, soft on the inside. Yeah, and, and he's a child. Right. Yeah, totally. I, I think I, there's times where something happens to someone, and you're, uh, you know, more of a of a a rage. And mm-hmm. then there's times where you just shut down and you're numb. And I think as a child being soft and where he was at, I think it is more, he's just, I, you know, the isolation that overcomes him and the, the numbness is really where he lives. And then he's a prisoner for the next 10 years, right. you know, as a child. So, and then even after he escapes, uh, I guess we're in spoiler territory. So <laughs> high air quotes escapes. <laughs> um, and he is, told that he's the only one who can lead this revolution. Like, he's still super reluctant. He's still super bad at things. But, like, up until the point where they they are going to kill everyone in his in his father's new village is when he decides he can step up. Like, yeah. you you get about three-quarters of the way in, and that's when he it's finally, pretty much like, his sister. Right. When when he loses his sister, that's that. When Ali comes, takes Gardiki, the killing the slaughter and then he's holding the sister and gets yeah. the baby like uh like, like that's the moment i think where ha- having the baby born into his hands while his sister gets murdered uh switches something in him some for some reason i mean that'd yeah. do it that would do it <laughs> yeah um because yeah. because then at that point also like there's a, a a internal thought like is this the world that this baby is going to grow up into yeah and then you have to realize that like if you don't want it to be like this like you have to change something yeah and you would imagine like that's the moment when he's like oh okay i gotta do it oh, 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 oh look there's the threshold all right crossing it cool speech time that's <laughs> <laughs> pretty much says it as, as straightforward as it is yeah Oh fuck! Killed my sister who made a baby right now in my hand. Fuck! I guess I guess got to do something. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had that before. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we were talking about uh, Pasha, and I made reference to the uh, air quote escape. Yeah. Um, this character um, is probably one of the most charismatic, yet scheming, conniving characters I've read in a very long time. Okay. Um, he's he's orchestrates. Every, almost everything that happens up until his own death and the way that he jumps between uh, very amicable to completely ruthless is so it's it's almost not even it's not jarring because he's so charismatic you're like yep that's what that that's what he does he's so charming dude oh my god he beheaded him twice hell yeah go you go Pasha. <laughs> Uh, and then, like, towards the end of the story, it's like, oh, what, he got a bullet lodged where? Oh, he's handling this very well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I love that he kept talking throughout him getting beaten to death. He's just like, you know, here's my grand plan. <laughs> and the guy's like, stop talking. I don't want to hear it. Um, because that's who that character is. There's a moment uh, earlier when his, his son uh, pushes him over while he's in the bath. And he's just like, you could use some cucumbers. Um, I think that was the most charming thing that that character has done the whole book. And and yeah, like I had these I had these exact same feelings reading the book as well. And so you you were talking about how this is a figure that you were reading about that you were pulling from from history. But how did you go about uh, discovering, developing, fleshing out that personality for that character? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, like I think. There was a few instances uh, that I read about him that that clicked in, and once it was clicked in, it was just you're stuck in it, you know. And so, so once you have it in you, it's just you, you know, like it or not. That came came from you. Uh, but the um, yeah, there was the element that it's a little challenging. I think I don't know how well it comes across on the read. But that th- thing where he would he weighed the priest mm-hmm. and then weighed the businessman and then brought them back to weigh them again and so so basically to sum it up is is uh the church had given a loan to uh, a businessman mm-hmm. and the man never paid the church back and so the the you know the priest went to the law ali pasha and made the claim and then they brought the two of them in 
initially said, oh, okay, and, and the, the businessman was just denying it. And, and, and so he said, okay, totally understood, great. Just step on the scale. Okay, you step on the scale. Okay, you're free to go. Months later, he brought them back in and weighed them again and saw that they had reversed mm-hmm. uh, and that the, 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 priest, the priest had lost a lot of weight and this guy had gained weight. And that was his way of deciding you're guilty. And then he launches him out of a cannon. And sets him on fire, and and you know so 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 there was nuances such as this that I came upon when I was doing my research, and you get a few of those in you, and you start to understand his equations, and then it's just like you know we've seen enough of these characters, so you think okay, what's the worst possible thing you could do in this situation, and the best thing you could say to seem like you just did nothing, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh-huh. so yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's the funnest character I think on the planet uh, that I've come upon. Yeah, and I like the the juxtaposi- juxtaposition um, <laughs> between uh, Ali Pasha and Marcos's father, uh, Kitsos. Kitsos. Yeah, no, yeah. You're, you're killing it. You're Thank good. you. Oh yeah. my god, look at you go. Um, we have a turn later where we realize that he wasn't as uh, hateful or embarrassed of his son as we thought but like you spend this whole time thinking he's this cold unfeeling like leader type who cares nothing about his son um and i like that like we know that pasha does not care about his son um whereas kitsus does and and to see them interacting and having that difference in that like even though someone doesn't show how much they care about you they can still have all the love in the world for you. Whereas even though someone can to your face, say something to the effect of like, I love you. I've always loved you. They could also orchestrate your death and uh, very much manipulate you for no apparent reason. Yeah. The, I think the thing with Marcos's dad is, is, you know, I think I've had a similar experience with my dad in life. Like we were not always close together, but, um, he, he, uh, he was absent for most of the time. So, when we would actually be around each other and hang out, he was insecure mm. and didn't really know how to speak to me. And so he seemed like quiet and, and reserved. And as a kid growing up, I interpreted that incorrectly when he really did want to like c- connect and, and to have this loving relationship. But it wasn't until older I could see through it and do the work to help make it easier for him. Mm. And so I see that same dynamic with Marcos's dad. When they are together, he feels so guilty and like he's wronged his son, but really does care about him. But all we learn about the the entire time is we get the information from Ali Pasha. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so we're in the Marcos seat realizing, oh my God, your dad did this, your dad did this, he's leaving you here, he's not doing that. He's like, oh, if you're not good enough to be my son, fuck you. Like, you know, he... Yeah. So, so we just get the Marcos per- perception, which is being totally manufactured the whole time. Right. And and so I think in coming upon this, you know, uh, Ali Pasha in actuality was uh, was doing, had a big agenda to, to make his mother proud. Um, his mother was a really vicious person in, from the stories and resources that I came upon mm-hmm. and, uh, and basically said to him, if you don't uh, avenge these people that harmed me, you will live a cursed life. And she said that while he was a child and, and dying. Uh, at least, you know, that's what you, you read. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was, as I was kind of constructing it, I was like, okay, sure, you can kill the other guy's son you could do anything harm them kill them all but like is that really like good payoff is that really like winning no what's the best way of winning and the best thing i could conceive was to completely manufacture a reality that would disseminate and destroy a life from the beginning to end Mm -hmm. but along the way what happens is ali really learns to care for marcos in the way that he couldn't for his son because his son's not bright and so he does end up caring for him so much so instead of just avenging his mother he also positions marcos to be the leader that he wishes he could have been or his son could have been and uh you know so it's a a twisted version but he still fulfills all of his own determined agendas yeah yeah um speaking of his son mukhtar 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 yeah um (laughs) That character, there are all these moments where, especially towards the latter half, 
I, I feel like I'm supposed to feel somewhat bad for him, but he's a, he's a monster. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it like one bravo on conveying that. Cause that was, he's, he's a rough dude. Like you understand why he does the things he does. Like, because he, he feels like his father is never going to accept him. And every time he feels small, he has to like do something to, to yeah. get that ego back. Um, but it's rough, man. It's raw, yeah. Uh, it's 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 funny though because I've had a couple of people say, "Man, I don't know. There's something about the Mukhtar character that, like, I sort of like. I don't know. It, it makes me uncomfortable, but I sort of care about him somehow. And and that was really just my goal. I I really hate extremely polarized characters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I, I really want to say, oh, if he's bad, is he bad? Why is he bad? What's right. bad about him? And is he the bad guy? Because it just depends what side of the equation you're on. So, so I try to really consciously create characters that that are not so polarized that you can say, like, here's his psychology. The guy is fucking trying. Right. Like he really wants to be good. He wants more than anything to make his dad proud. He just sucks at it often. And but for the why? Because his dad makes it impossible. Right. So his dad takes all of his own inner turmoil out on him. And he's just left trying and aimlessly and he's just a brutish little fuck like you know and so yeah you see what his, the harm that he imposes on people because of his desperation to like prove himself mm-hmm. you know yeah and it's it's interesting because he's also everything that uh marcos thought he needed to be um which shows like the the toxic side of that piece yeah right like juxtaposing the two characters you could especially in a world where for all intents and purposes they were both raised under ali you could very easily see a scenario in which marcos becomes right yeah you know just just a hair like a just a hair outside of our current timeline right Right. then then there's two of them (laughs) (laughs) no i'm like now i'm actually considering this and it's upsetting Well, I mean, I guess it's because Marcos was so studious and he's so smart that he like understood the dynamic that he had with Ali. And I guess it also helps that he, you know, had a a different family that for the most part loved, like his mother was super loving, his sister was super loving, his dad showed love in the way that he could, um, even though at some point he thought he had abandoned him. But like, even when he comes back to his village, he's not, he doesn't hate him for any reason. He just felt like it was the right thing to do at the moment. Yeah, I think, well, Marcos never stops being the child. Like, he's still the child when he's getting his training from Ishmael, right. Pasha, Pasha's, you know, son. And like, uh, so he's still the child. He he stopped when he was little. He was stuck in this place. And now he comes back out in the world's in tyranny. He's got no home, no village, and no family. Like yeah. so, he's still just that little kid, and that little kid finally breaks at that point at the, when we talked about. But yeah. but yeah, like he doesn't go back to when he goes to Gardiki and sees his father again, like being upset. He's still a little kid that wants love, right? And mm-hmm. and the same with the father. The father, we don't know this, but his whole he's determined his whole life to like try to reconnect with his son. Yeah, so. It's it's all simple human stories. It's all simple dynamics. And the irony of the whole book is I was like writing all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. This is just this crazy epic kind of story. And it's crazy and dark. And, and, and okay, just mainly make it as, as good as I, I can. And so I finish it. And I'm like, well, I wrote this crazy epic. I don't know why. Like, it has very little to do with me. It's not like anything. Like, everything I've done before is more like, you know, dark comedies that are funny and whatever. Uh, and uh, and so so all of a sudden, one day, it, it hit me. And I went, holy shit. Like, every story in this is about me and my own psychology and mm. my challenge with my dad. My challenge with, like, not being certain as a, as a kid with, like, the guys that my mom would date or you know me trying to be like the stronger guy in a single family home you know as a child who was like super insecure yeah. like so everything in there i'm like oh man you just wrote your whole like freudian like here's the equation to to me i think there's no way around that like even when like nobody in the world would look at it and go oh my god this is about the author but uh i don't know how you can write anything that's thoughtful without that occurring so. I mean, yeah, I don't think it's possible to 
create without putting a piece of your because it's all essentially running through the filter that you created over the course of your life and the way that you you yourself connect with it is by putting your experience through there yeah it's all your voice even when you're doing these evil vicious things and cutting heads and stabbing you know the girl that you just raped like uh it's still you it's still your voice it's still you know right. you, you just have a few other things in there going oh i'm free to do anything i want here right right it definitely comes across right that you put a lot of yourself into the story not necessarily taking instances from your own life but but that that relatability right and i feel like that's what sets it apart from it, it keeps it from being just a war story right it's those family dynamics it's those real human emotions so, and they're effective to the extent that when i got to the end of the story and you know Mar- marcos reaches the end of the road but he's more or less at peace with it I'm sitting there going like I'm just gonna I'm gonna get this book wet with my tears and stuff like I'm gonna need a new copy because this one will just will just be wrecked because I'm gonna start like I but I got to the end and I was really I was I was feeling in in a way where I really I was not prepared for this this is not well this is not uh, for me as a as an audience member this is not necessarily the type of story that ordinarily gets like gets me in that way but all of these all of these relationships are so they feel so well defined and they feel so relatable so it makes a ton of sense to me to hear that you really are again not necessarily specific events but in terms of uh say a a child's relationship with a parent right like all of that is there all of it feels personal and all of it is very affecting wow thanks man that's probably one of the nicest things i could hope to hear uh it's cool. You, 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 you know, you, you do these things hoping for that. Like, right. you, you know, you can say, like, why do you do it or what do you hope for? It's like that. You, you hope that people do have an emotional experience and gain something thoughtful, maybe, you know. Um, but, but you can't. I mean, if some, something is presented okay and you engage in it, usually you're going to find a thing that is human that you connect to, that you relate to, where it's you in that moment. And that's the whole thing. Like when I, I'm dying for good movies to come out, because like I want to be in that thing where I'm feeling that moment, going, "Oh God, what would I do? How would I do that?" And then they validate me as a person, saying, oh, "Okay, you're good, because you would have tried to do that." Or, "Oh man, I wish I could be more like that." So I spent my life learning how to be who, and from comic books, movies and music right like those are pretty much it yeah some books but that was later in life but like in the early years the books aren't that impressive i mean you know dr seuss is cool but um, (laughs) but like uh you know you learn who you are from what we gain from these things and and you hope you know we've really gone into this this weird period this past decade where where all of those smaller movies have really diminished that there's not as much of a a marketplace for them studios Mm -hmm. are making only tent poles and right. things like this so you so you just hope that they still can put these like psychological helpful meaningful human things as opposed to just these like comic book experiences uh because when i was young all of the movies that were made were all of these human stories but they were like normal movies like michael j fox movies and right. you know secret of my success even teen wolf was like kind of all <laughs> oh, oh he's still a likable guy even though he's that weird looking wolf thing right um you know, don't judge the wolf by the, you know, <laughs> smell. Uh, like, so, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and that, like, element of, of really, like, engaging and learning of people and circumstances that are more human as opposed to these far-fetched things that we're surrounded with now right. uh, were my education. And, and I miss that. And I hope to create more things where you can connect on that level and, and, and help learn about yourself or, like, how do I be a little better? Uh, Maybe one day. <laughs> um, are you working on anything, anything that you'd like to plug anything that like, uh, I mean, there's always like five or seven things. Um, there's uh, w- one is a, a script I wrote that actually got some recognition already. It got uh, like a semi-finalist in the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Nichols Fellowship. Uh, and it's basically a, a script that I wrote about uh, a true story about this kid who uh, he was born with a heart defect and not supposed to survive. And uh, this was in the mid-80s. And he did, uh, he did survive. Mm-hmm. And when he was three years old, he had his third open heart surgery and had a full right hemisphere stroke and went paralyzed on his left side. Mm-hmm. So now his heart was bad and he couldn't move. And, you know, the late 80s, we didn't have the most amazing technology for 
therapy and stuff. Um, and so his mom was really relentless and saw that she he responded to animals. So she started taking him around all these animals and then plopped him down one day in front of a dolphin. And this dolphin popped up right in front of him and started squeaking for the f- and and the kid started laughing for the first time in a month. Mm. And so the mom starts bringing him all the time and this dolphin and he start to like create a little connection. And so he's got enthusiasm again. And he's speaking again and, and, and has something to look forward to. And so the mom starts using these tactics because she was a cognitive therapist. And she said, hey, the dolphin really wants to play with you, but he's a left-handed dolphin. And he can only play if you can feed him with your left hand. So that night she found him talking to his hand in his room saying, open, close, open, close. And he started trying to work his hand back to movement. Mm. And through these tactics and his determination to hang out with his new buddy, and basically his determination to want to be like a dolphin, uh, he had a, a full recovery in a year and a half. So the story is kind of like my version of E.T., okay, <laughs> but placed on this story, which is actually a true story. Uh, so, so that's kind of intact, and, uh, and so that's, that's written and good. And cool. then uh, I have a, 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 a series of uh, sort of cultural documentary sort of series kind of things. There's like a handful of different subjects, and they're all like the opposite of Vice. Like Vice really focuses on conflict and what's crazy. Mm-hmm. And my version is going around the world and seeing everything and looking at the differences and then breaking them down to see the similarities and really humanizing one another as opposed to all of this like polarization. So it's kind of uh, it's kind of getting gaining a global consensus to see like we're all really similar. We just have these funny things that right. are a little bit different. Right. Uh, so so there's a few things like that. And what's uh, the name of that project? Well, it, the, each one's a different okay. thing. But uh, so so. For instance, the first one—it's called global consensus—is the is the whole. Yeah. Um, but each one, there's a, a bunch of different shows. So there's one called Us versus Them, which is kind of like you you say Us versus Sweden, let's say, and uh, and so you go around and you have a bunch of talking heads. And what do you know about Swedish people? And mm-hmm. they're like, ah, oh, they have blonde hair. Ah, oh, they like meatballs. They have abs. They make cheap <laughs> furniture. You know, and you get all of the cliches. Right. And then you go to the place and you say, here's all the cliches about you. Now, is this true? Who are you really? And you beat through why all these cliches are what they are. And, and slowly you get down to like seeing the humans and realize, oh, we're all kind of the same, just trying to do good and be loved and make a cool life. Yeah. So it's it's different subject matter like that. Okay. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of stuff. If you go to my website, which is just chrisjames.com and it's J-A-Y-M-E-S, uh, but there's a bunch of stuff there about all the other shit nice <laughs> guys make sure to go to chrisjames.com yeah guys go to chrisjames.com <laughs> um do you guys have any final thoughts before we wrap up in general about the graphic novel about chris james about life <laughs> general thoughts <laughs> yeah yeah who's gonna tell them we're just waiting now for somebody to speak up yeah yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> oh you're staring at me <laughs> uh yeah, no, I, I'm going to say, like, I'm a little almost, I may tear up in bed later thinking about you tearing up Aww. reading. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, and I feel like maybe maybe the highest compliment I can pay the book is, is as I said earlier, I really don't consider myself the audience for this type of story. I'm not a big... Right. Hi- I, in theory, I'm a big historical epic fiction <laughs> guy, but most of the... the Film projects I've seen, TV projects I've seen, no matter how well produced, they don't necessarily hook me on a, on a real visceral emotional level. I am, as it turns out, very much the audience for your book. Um, so, I mean, seriously, like, we, we've, been, we've, we've been doing a lot of uh, big, embracive back padding this entire time. But seriously, man, well done. Hey, thanks, man. Well, I hope so. I mean, it took a little time out of my life. God. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Then the funny part about it is like, oh, Greece. Oh, Greece. Yeah, it's so great. Greece. I've spent a bunch of time in Greece, but running from one side of the country to the other and mostly in off season. So when it's winter and cold. So every good part of Greece I've missed. Like I've never got to relax in Greece and have a drink and go, ah, Mm. in the sun on an island. It's been like climbing up hills looking for caves and going, oh, guy lived there. Okay, I know what it looks like now. And that was it, you know. So, so it sounds like you need to take a very leisurely trip to Greece now. Right. I think that needs yeah, to happen. I think you've earned it. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, awesome. Well, uh, thank you for talking to us about the graphic novel. Thanks for just hanging out with us. Yeah, and no, enjoying our jokes. <laughs> <laughs> or at the very least, not insulting us to our faces. Well, yes. when we stop recording, I will. Yeah. Oh, I look gonna, forward to it. Yeah. A good talking to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm keeping mental notes. Good. Uh, good. Yeah. You, you reveal to us that the entire podcast has been a ruse concocted by you yeah. to control, manipulate, and ultimately suppress us. <laughs> yeah, that makes me sound cool. It's true. All right. Highly unpredictable, though. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned that people can find your content at chrisjames.com. Anywhere else they can connect with you? Uh, well, you know, I'm Facebook and Instagram. So I'll just my name, just Chris James, J-A-Y-M-E-S. And then, uh, and then there's a website for the book that is sonsofchaos.com. And same with the Facebook and the Instagram stuff. If there's, you know, on Facebook, it's like sons1821. On Instagram, it's Sons of Chaos Official. Oh, there, you know, whatever. <laughs> all right, we'll link it all below. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what about you, Lex? Where can people find you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at TheLexMichael. And you can find me at Tari J, T E R I J A Y. But most importantly, you can find this podcast at Missing Outcast. That's M I S S I N G O U T C A S T. Um, thank you again for joining us, Chris. This has been amazing. Uh, guys, we hope that you pick up your copy and enjoy it. Tell us what position that you find best to read it in. Um, if it is not the vomit crying <laughs> No, position. this is true. I, I've been asking people, if you find good ways to hold it, like, please send pictures. Like, send it to our Instagram. I will post it because people need to learn how to handle something of this stature. Right. I, I found what actually really helped me was uh, uh, the way my couch is set up. I put it on the back of my couch and stood behind the couch so that I could have it laid out right in front of me, like a, gi like a giant uh, architecture right. book Ooh, and yeah, turn yeah. the pages that way. I'll Almost like a, a cheap version of a music stand. Like, yeah, 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 cool. I like that. Yeah, oh, also, I don't know when this is going on, but uh, if anybody in LA, we're doing like the LA release thing. If you guys are we're welcome to comments at Book Soup on Sunset on August 8th at 7 p.m. Um, well, yes, I think there's plenty of time. This uh, today, which is going into people's ears, is July 30th. Oh, perfect. Um, yeah. So, yeah, next week, guys, uh, go check it out. Where was it again? At Book Soup on Sunset Boulevard. Uh, yeah, it's cool. It's like one of the last remaining bookstores, yeah. and it's such a cool store. So I, I think it's a great place to hang out. And, uh, yeah, August 8th, 7 p.m. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, again, I can't. <laughs> I can't say thank you enough. This has been really fun. Um, and we hope that you guys enjoyed our chat. We hope to hear from you on the social medias. And we hope to listen to you soon. And uh, uh, go pick up a copy of the book. Awesome. Yes. If you don't, I don't know. I'll be sad. <laughs> it'll, yeah. it'll hurt his feelings. It's yeah. true. And you don't want to do that because yeah. you wouldn't like me when I'm hurt feeling. Wow. Um, We're, but, you're going to work on that. Yes. It's a, it's a work in progress. WIP. Um, but until we hear from you again, this has been the retrospective that's introspective. And now you have a new perspective. And we're sorry it involves so much vomit and tears. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. <laughs>